What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode. By the time of this recording, a lot of our listeners are in lockdown and going through a lot of challenges. But if you're not in lockdown, maybe life has thrown you some things your way that is hard. I think living our dream life does not protect us from that. So in this episode, you will be inspired by the most gorgeous girl, Brioni Benjamin, author of the book, Life is Tough, But So Are You. In her book, which is released on the 3rd of August 2021, Brioni is sharing wise guidance on how to navigate difficult times. This is a funny, warm and practical guide to gain perspective on what is truly important in life from a young woman who never expected to survive the big C. But of course, not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some come to clear your path. Viral video producer Brioni Benjamin was a few months into her new job when she started feeling unwell all the time. Doctors told her she was just stressed and should rest more and learn how to meditate. But it turns out that she had cancer all through her body. Turning the camera on herself, Brioni started documenting her journey in the short video you only get one life. It's a raw portrayal of her experience and it went viral, touching millions. And in her book, Brioni shares some of the most important lessons learned through her illness and recovery. Everything from how to assemble your A-team in terms of crisis and learning to make friends with pain to happy hacks of cutting yourself some slack and some great support on being a support human when a friend is going through some rough things. If you want to live the richest version of yourself, bring some more joy into everyday existence and have some tools up your sleeve for when things get tricky, this episode is for you because we all have to deal with our fair share of tough times sooner or later. It's how we handle them and bounce back afterwards that really matters. I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode and of course to share her book which we will link to in the episode. So let's get right into it. Welcome Brioni and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pumped to be here. (laughs) I am so excited to have you because after reading your book which is coming out soon and um, can't wait to share that with everyone. Today's topic is so useful for everyone who is struggling with lockdowns and COVID and all the other things uh, that is part of our lives. So I'm very, very excited to have you. Before we start, I would love to ask a question that I ask everyone. And that is, as a child, did you have a dream about becoming something or uh, something that you want to do as you were growing up? Yeah, do you know, funnily, when I was a kid, I was very passionate about the environment. I still am. And I remember wanting to just become an adult so I could create, invent a machine that could clean the water and one that could clean the air. 
And then the less worthy um, dream that I had was to also just be able to buy a whole packet of giant snakes and have them to myself. So yeah, that were my dreams <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> Before we really get into all the amazing topics in your book, I would love to for you to share a little bit of your journey. We have an audience from all over the world, so not everyone will be aware of your journey. So love you to share a little bit about it. Yes, well, I was basically living in Sydney and working a busy job in media, had a jam-packed social life, you know, just a really busy life like so many of us have. And I was just feeling sick and tired for a really long time. And it sort of dawned on me when my partner at the time said to me after we'd been dating for a year, do you realise you've been unwell like the whole time we've been seeing each other? And that was a bit of a shock actually because I hadn't realised it had been so long, which I think is so often the case with people that are dealing with, you know, an ongoing health thing. It, it just starts to all roll into one. So I was going to the doctor on and off over this period of 12 to 18 months and I kept getting told I was fine, there was nothing wrong, that I was probably just stressed and, uh, you know, I needed to relax a bit more. Honestly, Christina, I had gotten to the point where I just thought, well, maybe I'm not very good at my job and I just can't handle the stress. And, you know, maybe this is just what being an adult feels like. You feel tired and exhausted all the time. I had night sweats at night. They were getting worse and worse. And it was actually my parents who intervened. They were so worried about me because my mum was really alarmed about the night sweats and they were really concerned that my I wasn't my usual sparky self. And so they ended up you know, insisting that I go see a specialist. They rang up my GP, actually. My dad's a vet, so he was sort of like, you know, trying to suss out what was going on. And they rang up my GP and said, look, we're actually really concerned that this is something worse, maybe a cancer or a lymphoma, um, and we'd like her to go and see a blood specialist. And my GP at the time, really lovely lady, but just thought that was overkill. So, you know, thought it was a bit much, but uh, they insisted, thank goodness. And I so I went and saw a blood cancer specialist. She ran a bunch of tests and, you know, did a little biopsy and said, all right, we'll come back in a week and, and, and we'll give you the results. And so I thought, oh, well, if something was really bad, they would, um, you know, ring you and let you know, right, surely. Uh, but, yeah, so I turned up a week later. My mum insisted on flying down from Queensland to Sydney to come with me, even though I was like, mum, I've got to go to work straight after and, you know, I'm really busy. I've got all these things going on. So something about mother's intuition. And we went in, sat down with the specialist and she said, so the results are back and I'm so sorry, but it is Hodgkin's lymphoma as your parents were concerned about. So what that means is we're going to clear the next three to six months and start you on a course of chemotherapy and, yeah, that's what we're going to need to do. And so it's just one of those surreal kind of moments that you never expect to get, let alone at 31 when you're young and healthy and sort of in the prime of your, your life. Uh, it was a huge shock. Yeah, when I read your story and your new book, which we're going to get into, gosh, it made me cry. My little brother um, had cancer and just um, and quite a few friends have had it. So it was something that really, was really close to my heart. And I know so many people are dealing with things like this but and other things as well, of course. And in your intro, in your book, you say that after the initial shock, off you decided that you may as well make it as enjoyable as possible tell us how how you went from you know you know being completely shocked and of course you know also having worrying parents and friends etc how did you go from that to actually being able to make it an enjoyable journey yeah as I wrote in the book Christina I sort of thought well if I've got to get through this why not make it as joyful as I can? And now that doesn't mean that you can't allow yourself to feel sad and have down moments and days. Like uh, I'm really, you know, something I learned along the way. I think I think I started out being like, I'm going to be the most positive cancer patient that there ever has been and I'm just going to be so positive and I'm just going to positive my way through this journey. And I soon realised that was a really actually unhelpful mindset to have because if you just force, you know, this sort of, over-the-top positivity and don't allow yourself to feel your feelings and feel sad and flat and down, then that's actually not that helpful. But once I had 
realized that it was okay to feel, you know, it was going to be a roller coaster. I could feel up, I could feel down. But if there were things that we were going to have to do along the way, I may as well, yeah, make it as joyful as possible. And that, for example, could look like, you know, just being really kind and joyful with the people that were looking after me, with the nurses, with the with doctors, with the medical experts, because if you're going to go in there, you know, why not have a nice time and have a nice connection with these wonderful people who are doing their best to keep you alive? And I think it's probably something that comes from my mum a lot. She's very sunny and very thoughtful. And when we would go into hospital, she would always make a little uh, make a little jar of bliss balls to take in for the nurses as well, you know, and the doctors. And, and at the end, we actually pulled together and bought them a little coffee machine because the nurses, these amazing nurses, didn't have a coffee machine in this, you know, in the hospital where they run off their feet and often, you know, just working such long shifts. And so I think as well, it takes the, you know, the energy and all the attention off yourself. And on when you put it on other people like that, uh, it just makes the whole journey a lot more joyful. Yeah. Absolutely. I always thank the doctors and nurses if I ever go to the doctor because I, I, I'm just so grateful. I could never do their job and I'm just so grateful that they spend so many years of their life to learn and to and then to look after unwell people. So I always thank them as well. So I loved reading um, that and I loved, I think it was the tray of muffin kind of uh, part of your book. It made me smile. So thank you for sharing that. Talk about the feeling of grief and how we can, I think you, I might not say it the right, right way, um, my English is my second language, so apologies if I'm not <laughs> doing it justice, but we, uh, that we can welcome the pain in for a cup of tea. I think you wrote something like that. Tell us how we do that. Yeah, so it was this concept of, you know, I think we, when we're going through a really tough time, I know for me, even post treatment when I was feeling really nauseous some days like with the fatigue I feel really really nauseous and my reaction when I feel nauseous is to sort of clench up kind of focus on it get sort of annoyed at it uh, you know and it just creates a lot of tension in your body and I came across this concept of instead of doing that actually welcoming the pain in so be that a physical symptom like fatigue or you know neck pain or something that's going on or be that emotional pain like grief or loneliness um to actually carve space out for it and and to you know i say in the book even give it a name if you want it might be you know a horace or a bill or whatever jim and say you know hi horace oh you're back um you know we hung out all day yesterday you know in the case of say grief uh that's okay come on in have a seat. I'm just going to sit here with you. And and I think it just creates, um, it's sort of, you know, an acceptance in a way. And rather than fighting that thing and using up energy, kind of being angry at it, you just kind of relax into it and, and allow it in and, and acknowledge it. That for me, yeah, was has been a really helpful tool. Another thing I loved is um, I think you share that worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but gets you nowhere. Tell us about that because I, I think so many of us, uh, me included, uh, spend way too much time worrying. We do, don't we? And it's a very, you know, it's a normal response to wanting to try and figure things out and be in control and, you know, steer the course. But uh, I just found it's once again something that can just really zap your energy. And particularly when you're going through a crisis, you need to be so careful with conserving your energy anyway and just in day-to-day life, right? And I had this dear family friend who had actually passed away from Hodgkin's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma many years ago. And he always just had this really nice philosophy. Even when he was going through treatment, he was so sort of carefree about it. And he used to always say, you know, the thing is that if you really worry and stress about this thing, and then you find out it's not a thing and you didn't need to worry, then you've done all this worrying for no reason. And if you worry and stress about this thing and then you find out there is a problem, then you've done sort of double the worrying. (laughs) So he said, so you may as well just not worry and, you know, just take it as it comes and know that you will deal with what happens when it happens. I found that mindset really helpful. And then the other thing for me is when I was through chemo, like I kept worrying about it coming back and I was getting really stressed about it. And it's actually, it's a really common thing in cancer survivors. And I remember speaking with this gorgeous girl, Emily, who just said, look, the thing is her cancer actually did come back. And she said, and in my case, I actually felt better than I'd ever felt. And my cancer came back. So my point being, whether you worry about it or not, it's going to come back. So you may as well just not worry about it and just keep doing your routine tests. That will pick it up. 
that's the only thing you can do. And that, once again, was just a, one of those little mind shift moments where I went, oh, yeah, okay, okay, I'm not going to worry about it now then. That's good. <laughs> so it helped me. Yeah, that's a great one. And I I have a couple of things with that. One is um, once we go through things like this and, and it's so hard and, you know, everyone deals with it differently. I had uh, a mentor, Robin Sharma, who's also been a guest uh, on my podcast. He, he always said, don't waste a good crisis make sure that you make the most of it. And I was like, what do you mean? And, I, and he was like, you know, this is when you grow. This is when you become the next version of yourself. And I always keep that in mind because we've gone through, you know, a lot of business challenges and lots of personal challenges as well. And I, I, I always say, don't waste a good crisis. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep, you know, growing, get through this and then um, hopefully come out on the other, <laughs> on the other side you know, a bit wiser perhaps or the best new version of myself. And sometimes I, people say, are you so positive? And I'm like, no, I just learn how to deal with things better. <laughs> and it's not like I don't feel it. It's not like I don't worry or um, find it challenging. I just, I think I just get over it quicker because of that kind of mindset. And, you know, I think it's just something that I worked up um, probably read too many self-help books <laughs> over the year, over years. And also as an entrepreneur when you start something and there's just constant challenges that if I just kept thinking about, you know, the hard stuff, I would have just spent all my time doing that. And I remember actually a friend of mine uh, because I often find that, you know, when, you, when we are worrying or sharing our worries, um, it's to our best friends. And I remember one of my girlfriends, she said, why don't you just worry on Thursdays? And I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so I had a thing where if it came up in my head, because I was always worrying about, you know, will we make my budget or will, you know, will we open the store on time? All those kind of, you know, things that were often out of my control and absolutely no point worrying about. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to write that down. And then I had like a worrying se- session on Thursdays. And by the time Thursday came around, I was like, and I didn't have time to worry about it. So it was kind of a good way of coping with it. But I think you're saying... Boring. It's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but gets you nowhere. I'm gonna put that in my journal tomorrow. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, exactly. I just I love that picking a day to worry. Yeah, I had a friend as well who suggested yes, yeah, scheduling it in exactly like that. Going okay, well, I'm gonna worry about that from five till five p.m. this afternoon. You know, and then like you said, you'll get to that point and go, oh, actually, I'm not worried about that anymore. So I think that's such a clever, clever tool. A worrying day. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about how you actually assembled an A-team. I, you, you write that in the book and I'd love for you to share with the listeners how you actually went about that. Yes. Well, you know, when I got the diagnosis, you know, I remember instantly kind of knowing who the most important people in my world were. You know, you know it already, you know it intuitively, but there's nothing like a crisis like that to really crystallise it and go, all right. And I remember just writing down a list of their names and calling them one by one because I wanted to speak to them before they heard it on the grapevine because I knew it would be a big, you know, big shock for them all. But something that a really good friend of mine, Tim, did early on, which I think was so amazing, is he came and did a little session with me where he brought out um, a whole thing of values and a whole thing of wants and needs. And he just <laughs> helped me to circle all the ones that right now, he, you know, he said, what do you really value right now? What, what are your wants and needs right now? And they, they range from things such as, you know, I'm needing physical touch. I'm needing, you know, words of affirmation. I'm needing someone just to sit with me. I'm needing, you know, and what he was helping me to do was just to get really clear on what it was that I needed to face this crisis because, you know, and I think as women, I don't know if you relate to this, Christina, but I know we're always trying to, you know, please other people and fit around other people's plans. And, you know, we always have the permission to do what we need to do for ourselves, but we rarely take the opportunity. Whereas a crisis or a health crisis like this sort of gives you a reset to go, okay, I'm allowed to ask for exactly what I want and need right now. What do I need to get through this? And so I think that process really helped me to get clarity on what I really wanted and who I wanted around me. So my immediate family were all really amazing support people during that time. And my best friends, Nikki and Tim um, and Dave, they were really fantastic. And so I think just, you know, you you have this kind of guilt-free permission slip instantly (laughs) to ask for what you want to need and only spend time with those that you want. And 
it's something that is always available to us. And I, I think I'm much better now at just saying no to things, still learning, still learning. But yeah, it's emboldened me in a way to do what I need to do rather than just what everyone else is needing and expecting and wanting of me. And I think actually COVID has done that as well in terms of the lockdowns. And for me being an introvert, I'm not a big fan of lockdowns or anything like that. And obviously not COVID, but the silver linings out of that for us introverts, and I know it's difficult for the people who are not introverts, but for me, that was just like, oh gosh, I got more time for me. I got more time to read. I got more time to just be on my own because that for me, self-care has been a big part of being able to work so much but I kind of needed to have that space as well and especially time on my own and lots of time in nature etc and I I kind of got really good at prioritize that but of course that comes with you know some criticism sometimes that you know I might be selfish or too much in my own space but uh, for me that's been really important and I think a lot of people have learned that this way that you know we, we often say yes to things that might not be as important. And of course, we, you know, we want to be there for family and friends. I'm not saying that, but more, more just the things that, you know, the events and things that we get invited to and we feel like we should be there because of whatever other people think or whatever, but actually taking that time to work out what you, what your values are and what, what is important to you. I think it's really important because at the end of the day, everyone needs to look after themselves. And when you are doing that, I think you're so much better support for others as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's it's so true. And and I think it is a uniquely female thing as well that we often, yeah, just I, I know I've said no to some things recently and felt physically ill after them. You know, I'm still definitely on a journey of, of how to do this. But, you know, I know that I am going to be a better friend, partner, colleague, if I am feeling good and energized and well. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also um, mums are very, you know, very, it's very hard for mums because you have the guilt and you, you know, want to be a good, good parent. But I think sometimes, you know, being a selfish mum is a good thing because then you're much more able to give in the best possible way. It might not be there 24 seven, but when you actually do give, you are, you know, more present and more available. So yeah, I think that's a good advice for everyone who are uh, parents as well because I think we say yes to too many things and uh, not looking after ourselves because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's a quote I saw the other day that I just loved and it just said, if it involves fake smiling, I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that summed it up well, you know. It's like um, another one I heard was like, you know when you say yes to something and you can literally feel your body going, no. It's like go with your body, like your body always knows best. (laughs) So, So listen to it. So I read in your book that uh, I think it was a phrase saying journal your heart out and I was very excited about that <laughs> being you know, a bit of a stationary lover or freak. Uh, some, some <laughs> I might call myself that often uh, or a stationary addict. I'm definitely in that camp. <laughs> My sisters have to drag me out of Kiki K on many occasions. They're like, you've got enough no- empty notebooks at home, Bryony. I'm like, yeah, but I really need this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can so relate to that. Um, so I love for you to share how you actually do journaling and how did it support you through your journey? Yes, well, uh, I was given a book called The Artist's Way, actually, at the start of my treatment, which I'm sure you would know. Yes. Yeah, it was actually a really nice synergy because it's a 12-week course and I had 12 weeks of chemo, so it was sort of this lovely synergy. It was sent to me by a beautiful Dutch friend of mine. And as part of that, you do every morning, you do the morning pages, so which is just basically getting up and the first thing you do before you do anything else, you just do a big brain dump on paper, don't type it, of just anything that's in your mind. And the idea is that you're taking this cloud of thoughts that's in your head and you're putting them down on paper and organizing them. And I became really fanatical about doing this during treatment. Um, I mean, when you're going through chemo, you're on steroids, so sleep is hard anyway. So I'd normally be up around 5, you know, 4.35, and I would get up and sit at my desk looking out over the garden, and I would just sit there and write for an hour and just get everything out. And it was incredibly therapeutic, and it just really helped me make sense of what was going on. And, you know, the, the benefits of journaling, as you would know, being the queen of this, are just so immense. You know, the, there's research even to suggest that people, their wounds heal faster while they're journaling, you know, w- when going through a process of journaling, because it's really like it's freeing up space 
in your mind, in your brain, uh, and, and in your body and releasing that kind of, um, you know, that angst and things that are churning around and just helping you make sense of it. Yeah. How about yourself, Christina? I mean, are you, are you a journaler, I would imagine? I am. And, you know, it's funny when, when you said the artist way, because I often talk about that. I do morning pages every morning as well, but I, I read that book you know, I'm talking 20 plus years ago. So I am not, every time I mention it, I'm like, I really should reread because I'm not sure I'm doing it the way, I think I've adopted it my way. But regardless, it's been so, so beneficial. And I talk about it all the time because when I get the question, and I I get this all the time when I'm interviewed, it's like, how did you manage not to get burnt out? How did you work so much and still manage to be, I guess, have worked, life balance, whatever that is. (laughs) But I actually put it down to my journaling, my morning pages, and people just like, surely not. And I'm like, absolutely, because instead of carrying issues or problems or challenges, whatever that might have been, it could have been personal or or work-related or, you know, even sometimes, you know, not coping, I put it all on paper in the morning and I actually, and I'm not sure what she recommends, So, but I actually don't save those papers. So I, being a Swede, I love a fireplace. I, you know, if it's cold, I often sit in front of the fire. Otherwise, I just throw it away or, or shred it. And the reason for doing that is because I feel like I get everything out and sometimes I write about the same things for like three months <laughs> to kind of really get through a challenge. And I just know that if I would read that in, you know, 10 years time or 20 years time or even if my kids read it in the future I'm like I I wouldn't probably write the same way so I decided that I would never actually save it and then it's often things that just if there's a problem or a challenge that I don't really know how to solve I write about it and sometimes I say oh I'm just just give me a few days I just need to think about that and I actually write about it and it's amazing how it's helped and has supported me and uh, I do sit with another journal so I, I use for that I use a more about you know we call them essential journals hikiki k it's more just a you know a cheaper version that I throw and then I have my book of creative journal uh, called life journal which is basically just a plain leather notebook hardbound and um, I have so many insights and so many thoughts and ideas while I do this. So I then put that in and that I save. So that's how I do it. Oh, I love that. I love that because I love that idea of releasing the sort of day-to-day things. But then I know because as you were doing that, I was like, I was thinking, but what about all your amazing ideas and things that might be sparked? And that's so then they go into the, yeah, the beautiful, yeah, the one that you'll keep. I love that. I mean, the good thing about that as well, Christina, is she does say like there is no right or wrong way to do it. Yeah. So really, however it works for you is is what is good. And I really like that freedom of it as well, you know, like just by writing. And and I find as well, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, because it's the, the three pages idea that you've got to do the three pages. And I always find that often it's like the first two pages are sort of a warm up and it's by the third page that you really hit something interesting often for me yeah. that, yeah, so it's like do the full three pages. That's where the magic can can happen sometimes and sometimes not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And for, for those of you who are listening, even just to write sometimes whatever, just, you know, write about your day or the, how you want to have your day because sometimes I find if you don't have anything to write about, you you don't want it to just stop it. So you sometimes I just write about, yeah, this is what I'm going to deal with today and this is how I want it to go, etc. So there's so many different ways of doing it. Absolutely. And the other thing I just was going to say is I don't think I would have written this book if it hadn't been for the morning pages because for me it really unlocked my writing again. I'd loved writing at school. I'd always adored it. And then I somehow got in my head that I'm not really a writer and I wouldn't know how to do that. But just from this daily practice of writing and writing, it really unlocked me. And then when the book deal sort of came up, I had the confidence to go, yeah, actually I love writing and I've been doing all this writing. So yeah, that was a really nice benefit of it as well. Absolutely. And you never know what comes out. It just You just get to know yourself as well. So if anyone hasn't started Morning Pages, could be your next book as well. <laughs> I was also pleased to read, I feel like we're very similar, I can't wait to meet you in person once Same. the lockdowns are over, but I love that you always look for the silver linings and I'm the same. And I'm actually up today, at the time of this recording, I was holding a workshop during lunchtime today for everyone who was uh, struggling or who are struggling with 
lockdown and and but not just lockdown it's it's a workshop where i'm just sharing how i overcome my challenges and it could be anything not just uh, lockdown but any things that we have in our lives and part of that is that i always look at the silver linings which of course is really really difficult when you're right in the middle of it but love for you to share how you look at the silver linings because no doubt you would have to find them digging deep many times yeah and you know, it's that thing as well, like early on in a crisis, you may not be able to find silver linings or you may not be in that headspace ready to do that. And that's totally fine as well. And once again, you know, as I write in the book, it's not about forcing positivity and, and trying to, you know, really look for the good in, in, in these awful situations because sometimes things are just really tough and awful. But I have found that so often there is there is some sort of silver lining. I mean, something, Christina, recently that's happened to me that is not something you would ever anticipate from getting cancer is about two years ago, a young girl who was going through the same cancer that I had reached out and we connected on Instagram and I was a year ahead of her. So she was in treatment and I was a year out. So I became a person that she could sort of look to and, you know, get some guidance from. Yeah. At the start of this year, after sort of two years of friendship, uh, her older brother moved back from overseas and reached out and wanted to meet and we've been dating for six months. So, you know, there's a nice silver lining. I did didn't expect out of cancer a beautiful beautiful partner but I think even in the moment you know like coming having to you know at 33 pack up your life sorry 31 pack up your life move home move in with your parents um, there were so many silver linings in that process so actually just having the time to slow down to reconnect with old friends and my school friends who I hadn't seen in some time uh, you know to spend you know some really lovely time with my parents where as an adult you don't really have long stints of time like that that you'll probably ever spend with your parents again necessarily you know other than lockdown right now <laughs> but you know and also my beautiful dog who just became like he was a very anxious sort of shy little guy and when I came home the night before I started chemo he just stepped up big time like he was just glued to me and he stayed by my side every single step of the way and he actually passed away last year so I was like I got that precious precious time with him that I wouldn't have had you know so there were so many lovely things that you know you asked once again you wouldn't choose them but you know nice things can come come from it yeah I love that thank you for sharing let's talk about your healing and tips for others how to heal i loved reading that in your book and i love the ralph waldo amazon's quote adopt the pace adapt i'm not sure if i'm saying yeah, right. adopt, adapt. Uh, adopt yeah adopt, adopt. <laughs> <laughs> adopt the pace of nature her secret is patience i love that so tell us a little bit about how you went with your healing and maybe tips for others to heal yeah. And I think that quote, I just love that quote as well. I'm so glad you love it. Like it just sums up the journey of healing for me so well. I think when you're through a trauma, be that emotional or physical, whatever that might be, you know, I know for me, I was in this such rush to get back to my life, to reclaim the life and make up for the time that I had lost. And in doing so, I just kept exhausting myself over and over again. Yeah, it was interesting on the, I was watching the Michelle Obama documentary recently and a young girl said to her, look, you've just had eight years in the White House, you know, how do you get your life back on track now? And she just said, what track? There is no track. There is no, you know, track to get back on. It's just all different now. That's a good thing. That's fine. And it just is going to take time to figure out what you want to do next and what the path is. And I thought there were just so many synergies between that and healing after a trauma because, yeah, like I said, I just wasted a lot of energy trying to get back into my life, but you've outgrown that life and you've changed in so many ways and going, you don't necessarily want to go back. And so I think that that whole patience thing, and once again, that's about acceptance, isn't it? And surrendering to the process. And I think we have such a, you know, even the language around healing is very rushed, right? And, and in, in a well-intentioned way, people are saying, have a speedy recovery and get well, you know, as quick as you can and can't wait to see you on your feet in no time at all. But, you know, healing takes time. And in my case, I know, I know that for me it got really hard. Like the hardest time was when the chemo had finished and I had time to actually process what was happening. Because when we're in trauma, we can't process trauma. You just can't. It's a survival instinct. Your body is just trying to get you through what you're going through. So I think to anyone that is, you know, has been through a big trauma, I would just say, you've just got to be so gentle 
with yourself and so patient and just give yourself that time and know that it's okay if you feel totally confused and unsure about what you want to do next. That's actually really normal (laughs) because an event that blows up your whole life makes you, you know, reconsider everything. And like you were saying before, Christina, it's that post-traumatic growth that can happen, but that takes time to really make sense of that. And I think you put some really great tools which are in your book in terms of the practical side. So sleep, I always, <laughs> I often just, you know, go back to like, if I get some good night's sleep, that solves so many things in terms oh, of, you know, the, you know, the challenges, but also uh, I think you had good food, meditation, lots of love for yourself and self-care, time. And then if you put that all together, that will help you heal. So I loved those little practical tips as well. Yeah. And like you said, the sleep thing for me, that's probably been one of the biggest shifts for me in general in my approach to well-being and health. I I read that, um, I mean, Ariana Huffington's book, which I know uh, you're a fan of as well, Thrive. That was a huge shift for me. And also Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, the neuroscientist. And and I just realized like, you know, particularly with health and, and cancer, sleep is just the foundation of good health and so many of us just you know really don't give our body the the rest it needs couldn't agree more both great books there as well so for when we go through challenging times i think we find our own way of dealing with things what i find really difficult is how can we support others who are suffering yeah So I ended up writing a whole chapter on this because it's something that I just got asked all the time from people after, you know, well, how do you help? And, you know, even people reaching out to me going, my friend's going through this really tough time right now. Could you advise what I should do? And so I, yeah, write a whole section about, you know, I think ultimately when we're trying to help someone in a crisis, we often want to jump straight into fix-it mode and give people advice and tell them what they should do. And what I would say to that is unless you've been there and done that exact same thing before, and even even then, even if you have, unless that person is really coming to you and specifically asking for your advice, just don't give advice. Don't tell people what to do. Normally what a lot of people just need and want is someone just to sit with them and hear them out and let their let their soul be heard, you know, and just because so often people have the answers or they know what to do but they need to talk it out to sort of arrive at those answers. So so that would be one thing is just listening and being there, you know, and one of the quotes in the book I say, don't tell me what to do and don't try to fix me, just sit in the rubble with me and hold my hand because I, I think we're uncomfortable, aren't we? It's uncomfortable to sit with someone who's in pain but even though that sounds counterintuitive, it's like sitting with them while they're just in pain and being in pain with them is actually a great way to support. And then I say to everyone, I, you know, for the most part, like everyone's different and going to want and need different things. But I think if you can just say something to someone is always great. So it's, it's when you don't acknowledge it at all. Uh, even if you feel like you maybe don't know the person well enough, maybe they're a colleague or you don't feel like you've got a direct connection with them. You know, for me, it was the kindness that came from random places that was even more powerful in some ways. I had a, a, fr- a girlfriend's friend sent me a book and a card just to say, hey, Bryony, you don't know me, but I just wanted you to know that people you don't even know are thinking about you and cheering you on and we're sending you all our love and best wishes. Like that was so touching, uh, you know, so beautiful, so beautiful. But, you know, in that in that idea of say something, but then do something, you know, so I think it's it was really the practical help that people gave that was so invaluable. You know, even little things like I had a girlfriend, Emma, who said, hey, do you want me to sort out your gym paperwork and just get that done? Because I know you're not going to be needing the gym for a while. And I thought, oh, yeah, I hadn't even thought of doing that. That's such a helpful, practical thing. Thank you. You know, or someone just making a meal and dropping it over. And if you're not sure if the person would like that, rather than just saying, what can I do? I'll do anything. Like you could just say, hey, I'm going to bring you around dinner tonight. Do you want this or this? So you've given them an option and they can still opt out, but you've done their heavy lifting for them. Because even when I was in chemo and going through treatment, I didn't want to text a friend and say, hey, I need you to call me and check in on me more often or can you drop meals off like you know I'm I'm struggling with that so yeah just doing practical things is a really helpful thing and then you know I write in the book uh Christina about a few pitfalls to avoid (laughs) like some phrases to avoid like you know like the classic oh well all things happen for a reason 
which when someone's just been given a cancer diagnosis or they've lost someone that they love or they've had a miscarriage, like that is such an un, supremely unhelpful thing to say. So just steer, that's, that's one f- phrase that I give the example of just, just steer clear of that one, you know, and even like telling people to be positive, like that is a really irritating thing to be told when you're going through something really tough and because guaranteed that person is probably doing their best to be positive, telling them to be positive is not going to help. So, yeah, I've got a whole, a whole bunch of sort of phrases like that in, in, in there that I think are helpful guides. Absolutely. I love them all. I also love that you have in your book to treat your body like a Ferrari. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, you know, it was this concept I I heard once and they said, imagine if you were given a car at 18 and you were told this is the only car you get, you've got it for life, you know, this is the car that's going to be driving you around when you're 100. They're like, imagine how well you would look after that car. (laughs) You would put the best fuel in it, you'd be oiling it, you'd be servicing it regularly, you know, because this is the only thing that you've got to get you from A to B and, 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 you know, it's going to determine the outcome of your life. And yet our body is the only body we get. And how many of us are like running on empty, you know, putting crappy fuel into it, not not giving it rest breaks, you know, servicing it. And I, yeah, I just thought it was a really lovely analogy of, you know, you've really got to treat your your body like it's a really high priced, you know, car that that deserves the best treatment. Yeah, and you know, and it's sometimes crazy when we actually treat our car better than we actually treat ourselves. So yeah, great reminder for everyone for sure. So tell us before I jump into some quick final questions tell us a little bit about I know you had a dream uh, not that long ago so I'd love to hear that you ran this gorgeous uh dreams workshop in Sydney was that like maybe three years ago yeah 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 three years ago and I, I came along with a girlfriend and it was this most gorgeous night and Georgie Coughlin was hosting with yourself and some other amazing speakers and as part of that we all got a dream life journal and we had to write down a hundred dreams which at first I was a bit overwhelmed by I was like a hundred dreams but it was the best exercise to do because and it was also that process of like you shared your some of your dreams and Georgie shared some of her dreams and straight away I was like oh I love that dream of Christina's I'm still in that one or Georgie oh yeah I hadn't thought about that yeah I want to do you know that would be a great dream and so yeah we wrote down all the dreams and as one of those dreams I wrote down was to write a book and pitch it to Christina (laughs) one day and have it in Kiki K so yeah that was that was my dream so now I've written a book and here it is (laughs) yeah which is amazing it's not in our stores yet but we'll definitely make sure that that will happen I love helping and supporting people when they have big dreams like that so Thank that you. would be a literal dream come true. Yeah, that's so <laughs> nice. Thank you. And um, and thank you for coming along. That was such a, such a beautiful night. It was like our first big masterclass ever. So it was there was a few <laughs> teething issues and, and things like that, but absolutely loved it. And, uh, you know, I always think progress, not perfection. And I think um, now we know a bit more, but it was, yeah, it was such a gorgeous night. Oh, it was an amazing night. And it was such a beautiful combination of music and inspiring speakers. And then time to sit there with our beautiful journals, you know, that you'd given us and, and write. And and just that process of sharing, like I found even leaving there and chatting with my girlfriend about what her dreams were, it opens your eyes up to a bigger world and a bigger life that is possible. So it was, yeah, it was fantastic. I loved it. Yeah, I'm so glad. And, you know, sharing dreams is so powerful. I talk about this all the time, but you never know. And I'm sure you would when you you wrote down that, you know, I want to write a book one day and then have it at Kiki K. I'm sure you didn't know how that was going to pan out or how you were, no. <laughs> how you were going to do it or even um, what you were going to write about. But I, I think often I often say just, you know, just whatever comes to mind, write it down. And the, I know that the 101 dreams is kind of overwhelming often. A lot of people give me that feedback, but it's not really about the number. It's more just about let's just not put any limits and just really put it all out there. And then you can, you know, obviously decide what you want to focus on. But, um, yeah, I just love hearing dreams like that. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for setting it up. And like you said, like at first it might seem overwhelming, but that's um, I now realize that that is the purpose of the exercise because by having 101 dreams to write down, it actually takes the pressure off you, doesn't it? Because if you had to write your three dreams, it'd be like, oh, oh, what are my three dreams? Whereas when you write 101, you just you can be so creative with it and it just flows out of you. And that's what I loved about that exercise in that book. I could not agree more. I love it. So let's get into the final questions if you could give one piece of advice to the next generation to help them live their dream life, what would you say? Oh, that's such a good question. 
I mean, I really would just come back to journal, <laughs> journal so that you can get to, you know, what what is it that really lights you up? And, you know, it's something I've, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on since my cancer experience is like, what is the legacy I want to leave in my life? And I think that's something you've got to start thinking about right now, you know, not not when you're 60 or 70 or 80, 90, 100, like, you know, continually be updating it and thinking about it. But you've got to start with the end in mind. So and I think journaling is a really powerful way to do that. Because it's like when we're when we're lit up and living the life of our dreams and we're living, you know, in alignment, then that's when you can make change and impact and, and you know, do wonderful things in the world. Don't do what you feel that you should do. You should be, you know, doing what really lights you up. Could not agree more. I love that. So thank you. Have you got a morning routine? And if yes, what does that involve? Mine's a, a constant work in progress, I would say, particularly at the moment because I'm sort of dealing with chronic fatigue. I find mornings challenging, like to get up early. Like my dream morning would be to be up at you know, 5am and journaling. And I did that for a time when I joined the 5am 5, 5 club. I found that my chronic fatigue did not enjoy the 5am club. So I had to wind that back a bit for now. But yeah, like the, the, when I'm happiest is when I get up and I just sit down and write. First thing, I drink a big glass of water. I sit at my desk, look out at the garden and just write and journal and dream. That's for me to do that. And then followed by some stretches and some gentle yoga to move my body like that's that's a perfect start to the day for me love that that's very similar to mine i am an avid reader and i had a laugh when i saw on your instagram the other day there was a post saying i fully intend to read all the books i have purchased and am on track to do it by my 959th birthday <laughs> i love that yes. so with that in mind have you got a favorite book and i know it's really hard it's like you know, naming your favourite child, it's impossible. But if you could choose one, what would you choose and why? Look, as a fun one that I just retreat to during times such as COVID, it's Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. <laughs> like I actually just love going back to that because I actually don't read a lot of fiction. I, I like you, I love the um, non-fiction self-help genre. I just adore, I live for those yeah, sort of books. Me too. <laughs> um, but yeah, Pride and Prejudice would be the one that I retreat back to when I just need a nice, gentle, calm space to be in. And yeah, other than that, I mean, the book that really rocked my world last year was Factfulness. Have you read yeah, that yeah. by Hans Rosling? Yeah. So I just loved that book because, you know, in, in essence, Bill Gates says it's one of the most important books he's, he's ever read for thinking clearly about the world. And the tagline is 10 reasons we're wrong about the world and why things are better than you think. And for me, you know, with COVID, with everything going on, I think I was feeling quite anxious and overwhelmed about the state of the world and the way things are going. And that book just really helped me to see that actually a lot of things are getting a lot better and, you know, we are progressing and, you know, we're bombarded with a lot of negative news because, you know, that's how the media works and that's what we click on and that's what we want to see and we have a bias towards negativity but actually things are a lot better than we think they are and that just, just relieved a lot of anxiety for me. I would love to know if you have a favourite Kiki K product and if yes, what is that? There's so many things. Um, I love the pens. I think they're they're really they're really beautiful and like they give you a nice sense of gravitas when you're using them. But yeah, I'm a real sucker for your sort of weekly planners, like the ones that sit on the desk um, that you sort of peel off week by week. Really love those. Yeah, and I'd say my dream life journal has been one of my favorite ones because it's something I just keep coming back to. Like I mentioned that that ability to just yeah just do freely dream and and dream big and have lots and lots of dreams. I love my journal. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And um, we just got some new uh, uh, weekly planners out, actually. I think you released today or yesterday. And um, I'm just about to put it on my Instagram. So have a look at that as well. And I oh, might, amazing. I might send you some. Knowing what you know now and you look back to when you were like late teens, maybe 16, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself? Yeah, uh, look, coming back to what we were talking about with the books, <laughs> it would really be if I could go back and really convince my 18-year-old self of the importance of sleep and rest 
because when you're young, you think you're invincible, you can do everything. And, you know, I was giving a lecture the other day to a whole group of young 18-year-olds and I asked at the end, hands up who got eight hours of sleep last night, not a single hand. I said, hands up who, who got seven, not a single hand. I said, hands up who got under six, the whole room, you know, all their hands went up. You know, there were, there were some in there that had three or four because they were up watching Netflix online. And I, like that really concerns me for the next generation. And I know that had I gotten more rest and sleep throughout the last 10 years, I probably wouldn't have been through the, you know, I, I may not have been through the cancer journey that I've been through, who knows. But yeah, so I would say sleep. And then, you know, coming back to, and that's why I ended up calling the book, Life is Tough, But So Are You. Like, you know, I would have just said to me, you know, Brownie, like hard things are going to come your way, but you've got this, like you will, you will rise to the challenge and you, and you can get through it because yeah, when, when things throw you off curve and you get thrown those curve balls, sometimes you wonder if you will make it through. But, you know, I think we're all so much stronger than we give ourselves credit for. What a beautiful way of ending this super inspiring conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and I cannot wait for your book. I think it's, is it out early August? Yeah, the 3rd of August it will be out. Yeah. So the title <laughs> is Life is Tough But So Are You, which is an amazing title and definitely reflecting you and uh, we will do whatever we can to support it when it comes out and um, I'm now adding to my dream to have it in Kiki K, so I will work on that in the background. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Way to make a girl's day, Christina, slash week, slash year, slash, you know, dream. <laughs> wow, oh, that's amazing. Thank you, and thank you so much. And for um, all the things that we've been speaking about, I will add to the show notes. And um, I, I have no doubt that this book will be a bestseller, but most importantly, it will come into some hands uh when it's the most needed. So I absolutely loved it. And um, for anyone who's listening, going through a challenging time, if it's illness or just a bit of anxiety because of the state of the world, um, definitely recommend it. And it's also very beautiful, which makes it even better. So thank you so much and um, good luck with the sales. And I'll, I'll be there cheering you on and I can't wait to, to meet you in person. Thank you, Christina. And yeah, it's been an absolute dream to be on this podcast. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh my gosh, how inspiring was that? I just loved this conversation and I have no doubt that you would have got a lot of tips to go back to if you need it. And I highly recommend her book. So I will link to that in the show notes. And as always, I would love to hear what you got out of this episode. So please join my free Facebook group, Your Dream Life Podcast, and share what you will take into your toolbox. And if you're going through something really challenging, please make sure you seek out some help and get support. I will add some links that is in Brioni's book that you can go to if you need to. And if you're inspired after listening to this, please take a moment to give us a review. I absolutely love reading them and it helps us reach much more people that can be inspired by our amazing guests. So thank you for doing that. And if you want to know what's happening in my world, you can follow me on Instagram at Christina Kiki K and have a wonderful week wherever you are and whatever challenges you are facing. I will be back next week and until then, dream big.